into a book. Good for uh, you. And then I'm doing like one and a half speed in an audible. Yeah. So in you the get through it pretty quick. Two, yeah. Some of these books, if they're six hours, two days and I'm done. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if this is sustainable oh. though. I guess we're just went live. Hi. <laughs> Well, this is great to have you, Bob, uh, Bob on a special guest with us and uh, and uh, Andrew Wall. Hector should be joining soon. I think he's putting his kid to bed still. He said they, they wouldn't go to bed. He used a much more colorful language um, <laughs> to describe that. But um, we're, we're looking he still forward. loves them. Yeah, he still loves them. We all love our kids. You know, we all love, we all have, we all love, we don't have to like your son say tonight. We, yeah. we oh, love yeah. our kids. It's their behavior we don't enjoy. We, we don't have to like our kids all the time, but we do love them. Um, yes. my, my six-year-old boy, this is, this is the, this, okay. First of all, we do not watch sports in this house. I do, I do not watch sport. I just don't, I just really? don't watch. No, no, I don't, I'm not a fan. I don't follow it. I what? didn't know the close, the closest thing to sports I, I do is I, when, um, I've worked at different companies and multiple times I've been able to access really elaborate, extravagant box suites, you know, <laughs> to watch the games, the games that I l- clearly don't understand. In games where I don't even know what's going on, I just know <laughs> oh my God. a ball's being thrown. Whoa, you're so Asian. Human being, yeah, exactly. It's like human being. White people are hitting each other. Um, it's it's I I don't know what's happening, but I do know that there's free drinks and free hot dogs and usually nachos or something. Oh my and, gosh! And That's in hilarious. in the box suites, there's usually a big screen TV showing the exact same game that you're watching live. But in a little bit of delay, right? Because it takes. Yes. Yeah. So I'm just watching the 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 free. Ho- I'm just eating the free hot dogs and drinking the drinks, and that's why I'm there. I'm not really there to watch the game. <laughs> Man, I I, some, I would I would just want to mess with you and and just like play, just totally mess up the rules. Yeah. Well, my six year old boy, I'm putting him to bed. He, my son Kane, and he's um, so he's hilarious because he has falcons paraphernalia atlanta falcons like even though but you guys are in vermont we're in vermont he's never watched a a falcons game he just likes the mascot and for christmas he got a dolphins a miami dolphins blanket for christmas right and um but he doesn't know who the dolphins are he like literally he just doesn't you know but anyways tonight i asked him hey are you do you know what's happening this sunday he goes yeah the super bowl i said okay he goes well the rams are gonna win i said well why? Why do you? What do you know? He's like, well, I had a dream last night that Tom Brady didn't retire because he lost to the Rams, and I was like, okay, either my kid is a prophet or he's just has no idea what's going on. I don't even think he knows what a ram is. <laughs> I think he thinks an animal is going to be chased by a guy on a on a in a horse on Sunday. And, and who do you think Brady is? I don't know the I don't the Brady know much. Yeah, I have no idea. So I mean, I don't even really know who Brady is. I didn't I didn't know who Giselle was. I didn't know who oh, Giselle. his <laughs> wife. Somebody yes. at, at my MBA program, like we were I was going to school at Babson and they were talking about Giselle and I went, You mean do you mean Giselle? Like it's animal? <laughs> like what are you talking about? And uh, they're like, No, Giselle, the number Zebra? one supermodel in the world. What is wrong with you? And I was like, okay. Does she run fast? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, does, does, does she have she long run? legs? Yeah, she does. <laughs> does she run fast? Maybe Tom Brady talk, but it's Tom Brady's. What you know? So I, I'm clueless. But hey, Hector. Hector, you got the kids to bed? 
Hey, uh, I got I got seventy five percent of the household in bed. <laughs> We're just messing around. Well, um, are we live? Yeah, we are. We are live, and we're just we're we're just doing a little bit of introduction, but um, we're yeah, a little bantering, telling telling them my son's prophecy about the Rams, about the Rams winning uh, Sunday's game, uh, the Sunday's games. And so, um, are you a bit? You any of you guys big? You guys big Super Bowl watchers? Do they watch the Super Bowl in Canada? I mean, is that even a thing? We have Super oh, it's it's definitely a thing. Yeah, we've we, yeah, yeah we've heard of the Super Bowl. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. Bob, you you watch the Super Bowl? Like, is that a big thing? Oh yeah, uh, I would say just recently. Um, okay. My team. That's another point. You know, my team and I, uh, we created a, a fantasy football. Oh. Uh, league just within our team to build culture, you know, to to improve morale and build culture, and that that's what really got me into it. That's great. That, that's uh, that's really. So, really are you winning? Oh, I lost. I was, I was, <laughs> I was the last. I was the last person on the. Well, did you put yeah, Canadian on players that. on there? Is that why? Like, what did you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, started my... picking people from the CFL. Handic- <laughs> Handicap Canadian players only. Oh man, that's funny. That's You're like, good. does Wayne Gretzky still play? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's Michael. That's Michael. He's yeah, like, yeah. he's like, wait, wait, no. He's like, who's even Wayne Gretzky? Anyway, I think we're getting off topic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for letting me uh, join you guys today. I know it's not usually, you know, we're, uh, usual that you have guests here. But anyway, I, I thought uh, I would come up and share. So just actually today and yesterday, I had two questions come to me asking about, you know, how to get started and this and that. You know, I love helping people, but I feel like I've been helping a lot of people kind of one-offs. But my answers are exactly the same. So I thought, why don't we just like record this or, you know, do a panel or whatever and, and just help people uh, address these questions um, and, and, you know, discuss it. So I'll yes. just join you guys for this session here. I'll bring up the questions. We can have a discussion and, uh, and then you guys can do whatever you need to. So <laughs> I'll, I'll just read the question here from uh, Ms. Coleman. Says, hi, Bob. I hope everything's going well. I'm writing to you to get your advice and perspective on accounting entrepreneurship. I would like to leave my salary job to open my own tax and accounting firm someday in the future. To date, I'm only do- doing this part time at night and on weekends. And for the last couple of years, I have done taxes and accounting for family and friends. This year is my first time doing it as a formal business with an LLC. Doing this full time is a dream and a nightmare. A nightmare because I find it extremely scary to leave my full-time six-figure salary and bonus and 401k and full benefits and pension job. But then again, it's a scary nightmare staying at a salary job just for the things I had listed. Remember when you first hung your shingle, how did you firmly make this decision? How did you know or gain the confidence to leave your job knowing the firm you were building could replace your full-time salary? And how did you transition? Was there a formal plan you developed? I know there I know there are important steps and layers to all this. I just want to reach out to you for your high-level opinion on whether it is even possible to be just as successful as an accounting entrepreneur, or should I count my blessings and stay in my good job? So loaded question, a lot of detail. Ms. Coleman, thank you so much for being so vulnerable. I hope it's okay. I read your question here. Um, yeah, what do you guys think? Bob, as the as a guest host, you 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 prompt. Uh, you tell us who, who you want to answer because well, all three of us are ready to have an answer for this. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, Hector, why don't you go first, and we'll kind of go around this uh, clockwise here. Okay. Well, a couple of things. One, uh, I started my business 10 years ago. I had maybe $5,000 to my name, and I had $60,000 open in my credit card line of credit, and that was my that that was working capital that was your working yeah that that was my lifeline um i quit the job in a bank i was i was getting paid about eighty thousand dollars a year my wife had just quit her job because my daughter was born and it was the worst stupidest time to do it but uh, (laughs) but i did it because never a good time yeah i did it because I, i was unhappy i was working in a bank i was unhappy with conference calls after conference calls and TPS reports and all this crap. And we spent, I spent 80% of my time placing someone's compliance checkbox somewhere. And it just felt like there wasn't much fulfilling out of working for a big company. And I worked for a really big business. I worked for Wells Fargo and, and I love the people that worked there. So I, I decided to do so because I wanted, I wanted the challenge. Um, and I also wanted to build something that was mine and I wanted to work my butt off. I wanted to work overtime. I wanted to work until two o'clock in the morning because I knew that whatever I was building was mine to keep. And, uh, and that's, that's the, the, the reason why I did it. And when I first got started, I, I, w- I dabbled a little bit in graphic design and marketing because I've actually have a marketing degree. And that was really the background of why I'm so so into marketing. And the first thing I did was I took, you know, part of those five thousand dollars to my name, um, and I, I I launched a, a postcard campaign. I went I went online and I looked for all the businesses in my in my immediate geographic area that had just opened. This was in uh, January of no, December of twenty, whatever year it was. <laughs> it was December. And I said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to market to everyone within five miles from my house that had just opened a business between October and December. And I'm going to send this postcard to arrive on January 7th. And my strategy was that all these brand new businesses are not as likely to have a, a, an accountant and they're brand new. So they're probably they're willing to go with the young kid that doesn't have any experience. They just started a business. I thought the strategy would pay off. So I spent 2,500 bucks, sent all the postcards, and I got, I got eight phone calls. Uh, These eight phone calls between January 5th and January 12th. Out of the eight phone calls, I set up six appointments. Out of the six appointments, I sold four. And I had my first four bookkeeping clients. And I had no idea what I was doing. It was super scary. I had a book on my desk called Bookkeeping for Dummies. And that was my reference. <laughs> that was my reference manual. Um, but uh, literally, that's what it was. And me and my wife referred to bookkeeping for dummies <laughs> as, a, as a reference manual. But uh, I was a techie guy, so, so I got really into the software. So whatever I didn't know about accounting, I made up in just, just being very inquisitive on how the software worked. And, and little by little, you know, I, I, I wasn't able to impress my clients with my accounting knowledge, but I was able to impress them with my software knowledge. And I was teaching people, I've, you know, I've been using the software for a while, not, not as a, an accountant, but I've been using it for a very long time from different circumstances, my dad's business and stuff like that. But I was able to get, you know, I was able to impress people through like the operation of the software. And 
a lot of these people were telling me, hey, my, my previous accountant didn't teach me things. You know, so I, that's when I figured, you know what? Maybe my niche is not, is to work on my strength. Forget about my weaknesses, work on my strengths. My strength is software. And it pretty much kind of kind of started from there. You know, I, I, I picked the niche of, of, of working the software really well, which turned into training, which turned into, uh, you know, my YouTube channel and all the webinars that I do and that sort of thing. So, and, and that's it. And you, know, you just, just got to, you know, you have to forget about what you're losing. Like I think, oh, I'm going to lose my 401k. I'm going to lose my benefits. I'm going to lose this. You kind of have to just assume that it's gone and then build from there because this adverse, we, we are very risk adverse. And for us, it's harder to let something go than to create something yeah. new. Hector, I think you remind yeah. me of a quote that I often follow when I have to make a sacrifice and that's you have to give up to go up. If you're too safe in that bubble, then you're just going to stay there because it's so comfortable. Mm -hmm. and, and look, and I'll, I'll wrap it up like this. You know, shit happens all the time. I just took down. Oh, you're allowed to swear on this podcast. Awesome. Great. Oh, yeah, of course. It's Facebook. <laughs> Who said Facebook was wholesome? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I just had to take down my three top videos in YouTube, combined a million views between all three. Because I don't want to get into the details, but it's uh, something with with QuickBooks and Intuit and the way I was using the brand, and I have to take them down and I have to repost it and I have to change a couple of things because you know Intuit is really cracking down on the overuse of their name, hence wearing the shirt and sticker. So I'm doubling down with the brand because the brand has helped me quite a bit. But I have to obviously follow the rules because the rules uh, pertain to everybody. But anyway, I had to take them down. I had no choice, and these videos alone we're producing about $1,500 a month in ads. So that money's gone, right? And also the bulk of my leads were coming from there as well. So stuff happens all the time. And it's like, you know, 10 years later, something that you've built, you have to destroy and start over again. And if it wasn't for that mentality of forget about what you're losing, just think about what you're building. I would have been crawling up in a corner, you know, crying out of losing, having to take down those videos. So so my suggestion to Ms. Coleman is if you're contemplating it, the more you wait, the less of that fire you will have. So if you're contemplating it, it's because you know something's wrong, you know you don't belong there, or you know that's not satisfying you. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah. That's Take a, a great, risk, get in debt, just great, do it. Great point, Hector. I think it's a great reminder to would-be entrepreneurs is that the journey of entrepreneurship is not meant to replace your income. It's supposed to give you a different lifestyle that may or may not give you the same income, but hopefully give you more joy either way. So that's, that's great. Uh, Mr. Wall. Yeah. Um, so my story was, is a little bit different. Uh, many people know that I started off uh, working with my father's practice um, and launched to, and left to launch my own born and cloud business because we were butting heads so much like I was just I was fed up and I think that that's that's the journey for a lot of entrepreneurs is you just get to that point where you're like I'm just fed up I'm done doing things the old way or I'm done you know being constrained by you know working nine to five or you get sick and fed up of doing something and you know that and you believe you have enough faith in yourself enough belief in yourself to go out and do it because you're going to have lots of people telling you you know, you're never going to succeed. You're not going to do it. It's really hard. Don't do it. But there's always lots of naysayers out there. So I think the most important thing is um, having courage 
um, and getting out there. I was really fortunate to have been involved with an organization called Thrival at the time. And they were really instrumental for being a support group, um, helping me sort of guide that um, process and that transition, giving me really useful things and strategies on how to actually get out there and get those first couple of clients. Cause that's the hardest part, right? Yeah, um, first, you know, is, is getting those first couple of clients. Um, once you get those first couple of clients, things start to snowball and you, you build up your own confidence. Um, because if you, if you don't have that confidence going into a sales meeting with a client, you're not going to close that client. I guarantee yeah. you. Um, if you reek of desperation, no one wants to sign up with you. Um, so the key, I think to this Wait, is, is that dating advice too. Yeah, I think it is, right? It's life advice, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. You know, everything in life is is about confidence. Confidence, yeah. You know, and and you have to believe in yourself. If you're second guessing yourself and doubting yourself, I'd say it's actually not the right time. Because you know everyone says, Oh, just go, just do it. Um, you need to get yourself into a position where you're confident um that this is what you want to do and that you're committed to doing it because that first little while is going to be tough. You are going to be giving things up. And Hector's absolutely right. You have to, you know, dismiss a, and I love your quote, you've got to give up to go up because you are going to be giving up to, to go up. You're, you're trading in those, you know, benefits or, or those golden handcuffs is what they are, right? They're golden yeah. handcuffs. Um, but you're trading those in for something that you've got to believe in and that you've got to be committed to because, Otherwise, you're going to be into it and you're going to be like, oh, what was I doing? And then you're going to fall back and then you're going to be in a worse position because now if you want to go back to full-time work, you're not going back to your last your last uh, boss. And then now if you're trying to enter the work environment after not working for a few months, good luck to you because that's the kiss of death, right? Not being employed for a few months, all of a sudden you'll never be employed again. So, you yeah. know, there, you have to have enough confidence to be able to persevere through those tough times um, because it's not going to be all um, sunshine and glory, right? Or sunshine and lollipops. And I think, <laughs> you know, that's the one thing, the one message I want to give because I think there's so much advice out there that, yeah, do it. It's amazing. This is an ultimate life. And yes, it is, but it takes a lot to get there yeah. um, and it doesn't happen overnight. So if you're second guessing yourself, maybe give it a few more months where you're kicking around and doing it part time and don't do it until you've got the confidence uh, yeah. because that's the most important step, I think. Yeah, I think that's uh, great advice, Andrew. Yeah, uh, when you, as you're saying this, it, it almost like you're saying you got to you got to give yourself no options as in. Uh, you, you got to burn all the bridges uh, and give yourself no ability to retreat back yourself up against the wall. And your only option is to move forward because yeah. you know, in the back of your head that, you know, maybe if it doesn't work out, I'll go back to my job. You'll never fully commit to this journey. And, and this means you're, you're not ready. Right. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like that's a point that you're trying to make. And I think I, I, I love that as well. I think I totally agree that uh, if you're on the edge, you're probably not ready. <laughs> um, yeah. And Bob, uh, to, to, add, to add to that real quick, um, when you have the most pressure, when, uh, when there's the most chaos, when things are you know, the, the, the toughest and the hardest and you have the most weight on top of you, that's when, that's when the amazing things happen. That's, 
that's where you have nowhere else to go but up. Yes. And and it is it's in the middle of that chaos and and and, and uncomfortable and being uncomfortable and and the pressures of having to make it happen where the where innovation happens, where where new ideas come from, where 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 people uh, create transformative things. Because those folks that have a full-time job and do this on the side and also have maybe a spouse that makes enough money so they don't really have to make it, or I don't know, they're sitting on half a million dollars and 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 the house is paid off. And those folks just may not have that rocket you know you know that 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 fuel to like do things and hustle i i kind of like the pressure that pressure right that's how i started my business you know yeah i have to make ends meet i have to close these deals now at the same time you know it's a it's it's tough it's hard i mean i gotta tell you if you're doing this for the lifestyle this is not a better lifestyle than having a job it is absolutely not now now you guys, you know, uh, Bob and Andrew and Michael and myself, five, six years into it, you build a team, you train a team and you delegate. Yeah, now it's now it's kind of nice. But in the first couple of years, you're going to be working three times as hard as you're working now. Yeah. Uh, you know, Elon Musk's had a great quote. He says, entrepreneurship is like eating glass and pretending you like it. Um, <laughs> At least for the first three years, that's what it felt like. That's really anyway. good. Michael, uh, yeah, what about you? Yeah, so I think um, I think where I said, this is all really good advice. Um, and, and I think the perspective I have on this is entrepreneurship is not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, we've Not everybody, frankly, has the discipline, drive, grit for it. Um, the desire, you know, I, I kind of... Um, what stood out to me on her question was all of the benefits she has now compensation. You, so I, so I tell people, if you're going to go, if you're going to be an entrepreneur or start your own firm, you, these are the driving forces. You want to, you want to, you want to create something yourself. You want to create something out of your own hands. You want to serve people with your own knowledge. You want to learn. You want to form a team. You want to lead people. Replacing your income that you currently make now is like the 10th thing. It's like the, or the 20th. If you're lucky, if you, if you happen to be successful. Um, now, the entrepreneurs who are very successful, which is the 20 out of 80%, right? Because eight out of 10 fail, whatever the stat is, it's pretty high that fail. Um, there are ones that are successful and they, and they, t- they get to play, replace their income. And then there are ones that are really successful and they get to create lasting wealth, right? And the ultimate goal of any entrepreneur is that you can actually generate generational uh, wealth for your family and your children and your children's children, your children. That's like this ultimate, ultimate, ultimate goal, right? Very few people get there. Very few people get there. And on the way, there's multiple success stories, multiple success hills that you climb. Um, but income replacements, like step number 10, 20, you know, and it's not, it, it can't, you know, I tell, I tell people coming into this, if that's anywhere in the top three or four reasons, don't do this too much pressure, too much pressure. And you will most likely fail. You will most likely fail. 
But if you're driven by the desire to lead, the desire to build, the desire to watch something grow, the desire to have a challenge, if you if you if you um, if you're driven by impact. impact, the desire to think about this thing all the time, literally, it'll drive everybody in your life crazy because you cannot <laughs> concentrate. You you like you're not even present in the room with your family and friends most of the time. True. <laughs> totally true. <laughs> yes. You, you, your wife will be asking you the most important question in the world and you are not, you are not thinking about that question. Or like, what? <laughs> what? Exactly. You want to have another kid? Sure. Whatever. <laughs> yes, yes. And That's how I got tricked into four kids. <laughs> <laughs> Before you know it, you've just made big life decisions without any, anything in your brain actually functioning. Like, so you're eating glass. You're eating glass. The income replacement is the last thing. It's like, yeah. It, it can't even be a driver because um, if you took the stat of the people, most people, most people are giving themselves a job that they own. And that's basically a lot of self, what you call the self-employed or the solo entrepreneur, or the solopreneur. They basically own a job. They created yeah. a job for themselves. And if, if that's where you're at, cool. Some people, that's where they should be at. Cause not everybody is ready for every hill. You, you, you reach a point and you go, you know what? I'm not, I'm done. Right. Yeah. And, and, there's nothing wrong or right about that. And there's nothing wrong with saying, saying, knowing yourself the best and saying a six figure job had a nice, comfortable firm that pays me well and is able to help me build a middle-class or even a wealthy life. Um, and is comfortable is good for a lot of people. That's why we have a lot of people that do it, you know? So I'm just kind of, I want to encourage people to jump into this, but they have to know themselves. And they have to know what they want. And income replacement is not that for entrepreneurship. Yeah. Michael, I think that's really awesome. You know, as an entrepreneur, and I'm sure all of you can relate, you pay yourself last. <laughs> if you have employees, they got to get paid first. You know, you did work for a customer. Customer doesn't pay you. But your employees don't need to get paid. And guess who, guess who takes the hit? <laughs> right? Um, I mean, it's, you are the last person that gets paid in a business. And so you take a huge risk for doing that. And you know what guys, like I, some of you know my journey, uh, I, I did the entrepreneurship. It was, it was, it was good. It was awesome. I loved every bit of it, but now I have a six figure job with, <laughs> with a pension. You would the other way. More about payroll. And it's like, it's kind of nice. Yeah. I kind of like it. I can just focus on building the business. I think it's great. <laughs> but I got all, all the other problems to deal with too. You know, anyway, that's, that's, that's another side of the story. Um, but yeah, uh, my, my story is uh, I was working at a big four accounting firm and to me, you know, money was, was not a big important issue. And it's, and in your case, Ms. Ms. Coleman, kind of the more money you make, the harder it is to, to actually start a business because the more you're giving up. Right. But in my case, you know, I was, I was just a senior accountant making 50 grand a year uh, barely supporting myself. It's like, if I quit, who, who cares? I'm homeless anyway. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, that summer, um, both my grandparents, I was my, my last, uh, my, my grandma passed away and she left a, uh, an inheritance to me. And that was her, you know, quote unquote legacy. Right. And she saved her entire life in R and B and translated to about $70,000 Canadian. Well, you know, if you look at the kind of grand scheme of things, it's not a lot of money, but it's, it is a lot of money to her because that's her life saving, right? And the way I look at it is, look, I got, I got this money 
what was what was the intent of her saving this up, right? Her intent of saving her entire uh, saving her, her entire life is not for me to go and buy a car. It's not it's not for me to go and pay off my mortgage, but it's to give me a leg up in the next stage of my life. That's the purpose of an inheritance to give a leg up is to amplify your character, right? And so, you know, in that moment, I got 70 grand. Okay, well, that's basically one year worth of runway, so to speak. And so I gave myself one year to make, make it work uh, before I basically said, you know, I'd give up and, and go back to a job. I got one year to do this. And so I had no other option. Well, I guess, you know, I gave myself one year timeline and I want to make the most of it. And I hit the ground running, right? And, and you know, the rest is history. Three years in, sold to Deloitte, I have a job now, et cetera. So that's kind of my journey. And, and you know, to me, I would say the, the point I, the reason why I tell that story is because money wasn't a big issue for me because I had some savings. So in your, in your case, uh, you know, Ms. Coleman, an, an idea would be to take an extra year, you know, save a bit extra and put, put some money aside so that you know you're not gonna go hungry and give yourself 12 month runway. And that's, that's your timeline, you know, make or break, you got 12 months. And then know that uh, after 12 months, you can probably do something else. And I just had a quick comment. Uh, so someone here in the chat is saying, you know, how come income replacement is so quote unimportant? Don't we all have to pay bills? You know, if income replacement isn't my driver, how am I going to pay my bills? And, and again, look, you know, what, what Michael is trying to say, and I'm not putting words in his mouth, what he's trying to say is that, yes, the business is there to, to, to pay you some income, but strategically speaking, when you're chasing that dollar all the time, it may drive you to do one unethical things. It may drive you to, it may drive you nuts because you get really uh, depressed if your business is not working. And in the first six months of your business, it is such a crucial moment for you to be experimenting and to be uh, seeing little successes. And, and it's just bottom line, if you're making 100K now and you start up your accounting, bookkeeping, tax return firm, I don't think there's gonna be a lot of people that are gonna get $100,000 on that first year. I don't think there's going to be a lot of people that will make it on the third year. You know, I, 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 made, broke... I, made, I would say, well, actually I made zero money year one it's year two. I made 30. It was year three. I started to make a hundred. Yeah. So, uh, same yeah. thing for me. Uh, really? I broke a hundred in year four. It was right. like eighties or something on year three. And it wasn't until year seven. And again, that's my story until year seven, where I felt now I have a business. I, it's no longer just me. Uh, running the business. I have a business that kind of has some parts that kind of work, uh, you know, on, on their own. And, and my suggestion uh, to her or to anyone who's, who's saying, you know, hey, why is income replacement so unimportant? It, it's just in terms of, in terms of, you know, driving towards that north of your business, it shouldn't be about money. Money should be a great consequence of you creating value, of you doing the right things, of you focusing on your target client, of you, uh, you know, creating some happiness, you know, with, with the people that you're working with. But it's not, it, it shouldn't be just about making money. And that's it. Because yes, the business is there to make money and you should be profitable because with that money, you'll be able to hire people. That means that you can feed a bunch of families, which is amazing. It's a great feeling to employ people, by the way. It's probably one of the most satisfying things 
out there, uh, you know, other than, you know, you having your own money to do your own things. It's very satisfying to be able to give someone a raise and pay it with pride. But I think what Michael is saying is, you know, strategically speaking, don't make that the fundamental drive, which means, and I think Bob was saying this, which means that if you're going to quit your job with zero money in the bank and you had the choice between maybe saving $40,000 and then doing it so you can pay yourself a salary, you know, go, you know, you're going to go, you're going to start eating a lot of ramen soup for a while. Uh, You know, you're going to have to cut down on expenses. You know, the the first couple of years is going to be crucial for you to be as frugal as possible because you you have to reinvest every single cent back into your business, back into marketing. I would say that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And when you run your business, there's no, there's no walking in the park and there's no taking a vacation you know, every single moment of the time, you, sh- you need to be creating content, talking to customers, uh, uh, creating new products and services, testing things in the market, getting on podcasts, creating videos, tweeting, twatting, whatever, right? You have to be doing things related to social media, talking to people. It's got to be emotion. It's got to be emotion. What, what is and twatting, you may, what is twatting, Hector? I don't know. I don't know. You know what I mean. It's a, that's the new technology that you don't even know about. That's the new thing. <laughs> That's coming five years on the line. I, I, I meant to say we were supposed to have about pricing, right? Sorry, <laughs> I, 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 was, I meant to say gramming. Gramming is what I wanted to say. Gramming, gramming, gramming. Um, and and a lot of stuff that I did when I started is I did a lot of work for free. You know, like hey, so and so, can you do this? I'm like, I don't know how to manage inventory. Oh, screw it, I'll do it for free for a couple of months. Learning. And yeah. and yeah. when people give you the opportunity to get into their business. To, to touch their books, touch their inventory and do stuff and destroy, right? Because you're going to be destroying people's books and then you're going to be fixing them. That's the learning experience that you need and you're not going to be making any money on that. So when you have these great opportunities for you to intern, right? Or do some free work or very cheap work in order to learn you know, as an entrepreneur in the accounting business, if you're driven by money, you're, you're going to say no to those opportunities and you're going to miss out the best learning opportunities you can have. So that I wanted to give full circle on that answer and, and michael i couldn't agree yeah. with you more that money it's a consequence to what you do not the drive of why you do it yeah that's Are a there any idea. other questions in the facebook actually i think we should take some questions uh, in addition to that one yeah well, Sorry, michael, go ahead. I, well I was gonna say i was gonna say um what i found is if you focus on finding customers that will pay for the value you want to create, whether it's the value in a product or a service. Uh, most of the entrepreneurs that we, I work with and, and you, know, you guys work with, the ones that are killing it, right? The, the entrepreneurs are killing it. They are heads down focused on selling value, whatever mm-hmm. it's a product or service. They could care less about anything else. They go, they go out to find customers who will buy something. And if they don't have it, they'll make it, right? Just like Hector said, I don't know how to do inventory. I'm going to do it for free. Now I know how to make it. I Now I know how to provide value there, right? Uh, I don't know how to do an M&A transaction. Well, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to do this first one for a dollar. And then the next one, I'm going to do it for 20000 Like those are the things where you've just figured out value and you find the customers. I was, I was talking with a customer today. I was consulting a customer today to talk about his, you know, he's done business three years. We had enough data to look at his metrics. I said, okay, tell me, it looks like 
I said to the customer, it looks like what you have out there is okay, but it's not bringing, it's not generating the amount of customers that you thought it would. What is the market telling you? What are customers telling you? Oh, they're telling me if I sold it this way, they'd pay for it. I said, okay, well, <laughs> that's free feedback. Why don't you sell it that way? Who goes, well, it's not what I want to sell. It's not what I put together. <laughs> I go, wait, 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 wait. You, your customers literally came to you and said, we will pay you money, more money, double, triple the price. If you just have it done differently, just this other way. Yes. Why wouldn't you do that? I'm not, a, I'm not an expert in your field. I just know if you can find customers and you can make that product, uh, then, then make the product, sell it. If you're in this to, to create value and to sell value. But um, that's, that's, I think, the, the primary focus people should have is where is the value you want to provide? And if your value is for another employer and that's where you get the most value, then stay there. Mm-hmm. But if your value is in leading people, is in building something, is in marketing something, um, then money is going to follow that value, right? And maybe you can't get that at your current job. Or maybe maybe you're going to be an entrepreneur at your job. Maybe you need to go to your boss and say, I have this entrepreneurial flair in me. I want our firm to consider cloud compu- cloud and apps. Maybe your firm's not doing that yet. Go make a pitch. Make a presentation to your to your uh, boss or your firm owner and say, I want to start the cloud division. I want to go and launch that. Maybe you're an entrepreneur and now you have the safety and the resources of your firm, right? So there's other ways of exploring this as well. Uh, Andrew, what you're going to, what are you thinking? Well, I was going to ask about what is the right personality type for an entrepreneur? Because we talked about having to deal with all the stresses. We talked about having to be able to thrive under pressure because I think there's some people who who do really thrive under pressure, who when when you know it's you know the last three seconds in the game they're going to put it in the hoop, right? Um, what's the personality type that you have to have to even consider entrepreneurship, no matter what you no matter what industry you're talking about? So to me, I mean, you've got to have the ability to thrive under pressure. You've got to have you've got to be a rainmaker. You've got to have the ability to go out there and close deals. Uh, you've got to have the ability to wear many hats. You've got to have the ability to manage people. What other traits do you think you have to have to even consider going out on your own? I would say salesmanship, number one. Salesmanship is number one. Now, I just, salesman- okay, I just want to pause right there. Your, yeah. Andrew, your question was what kind of traits? But everything you mentioned were skills. And I think that's so, so a there. I'll, I'll put a little point here. So I went to Babson College for an MBA. Um, they've studied entrepreneurship for, I think, over 100 years, right? The oldest entrepreneurship school in the country, number one, ranked number one in the country and the world in entrepreneurship every single year. Um, this is what they argue as. They've done these studies literally worldwide with successful serial entrepreneurs. They say there are no character traits. Yeah. I, I, there, are, there are practices that are common. There are practices that are common, um, but there are no common character traits. They're, it's literally wide and varied. Yes. Successful that's entrepreneurs. What, that's what makes entrepreneurship so important. You carve your own destiny. You, you carve your own spot in the universe. And everything you mentioned, scales and leadership, those are all skills that you learn along the way, but there's no trait that defines whether or not you're an entrepreneur. Right. And that's, um, and that's, and that's the, 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 I think the, the, mis, the misnomer or the, 
the myth about entrepreneurship is that you have to be a certain kind of personality, a certain type. Um, and, and that's a complete myth, but can you, can you practice the practices that successful entrepreneurs have? Can you go and implement those? Um, and salesmanship is one of them. Marketing's another one, right? Accounting's another one. I didn't know how to do any of that. You just yeah. on the way. Yeah. You got to go and then you, you got to execute them. And I would say the, if there's one skill that differentiates the most successful from the ones who just have great, who have ideas, but never succeed are people who actually execute their ideas. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're willing to make changes. You're, you're not, you're not holding to one idea in, in one way you're willing to change in order to execute and make your business successful. So if you can figure out those skills and iterate, 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 and no matter what area it is, whether it's sales, marketing, human resources, accounting, uh, vision, strategy, whatever it is, doesn't matter what your personality type is. Because a good entrepreneur, if they, if they, they, they can't do public speaking, they're going to find somebody They'll figure it out. Yes, and, or they'll find somebody better than them to do it. Right. Yeah. If they can't do sales, they'll find somebody better than them to do it. Right. So those are all the things I think that team a team building. Yeah, exactly. That, that you, the skills you have to figure out. Yeah, for sure. But Back if here. you fold under pressure, can you be an entrepreneur? No, but it's so a skill I, I hear what you're saying. You can learn how to handle pressure. I guess that's fair enough. Uh, Hector, go ahead. You, you had just some thoughts on how to, about salesmanship. <laughs> yeah. I was saying that this, the number one skill is salesmanship and Michael mentioned three, I think it was salesmanship, marketing and execution or something like that. And a great leader can, a great leader because he's a great salesman and, and, and I'll define salesman. If you give me a chance in a second, a, a great leader, cause he's a great salesman can get other people to ins- execute in their behalf. So I, I don't think the entrepreneur has to necessarily be one that executes, okay? Uh, I happen to be one that does, but I'm not a tasker. I'm not a production person. My wife compliments me very well in that business, and that's why the partnership works so well. My biggest trait is I'm a great salesman. And by salesmanship, I mean you have an idea, and you have to convince others that that idea is great. You have to convince others that that idea is better than your competitor's idea. You have to convince others to take the risk and hire you before you have any experience and, 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 uh, and don't have a resume behind it. And a great salesman is not just the one that can talk, it's the one that can finish and complete the transaction. And finishing and completing the transaction is selling it and executing it. Whether it is the person that sold it, the one that actually does it, that doesn't matter. At the end of the day, and I want you guys to think about any time that you worked with, with, especially with contractors, you know, like you work with a contractor, the one that was really good at painting the picture and assuring you that they're the ones that can do it. They got the skill set, they got the quality, and the one that probably priced it the better, that's the one that sold the job. And that person is, doesn't do any of the work. He, he, he hires a bunch of people to do it and convinces a bunch of people to do it under the price that he or she charged. So I think salesmanship, which, is, which has a whole bunch of other things, you know, learning how to listen, having compassion, having a- empathy, understanding what your client's needs are, asking questions. I mean, the best salesperson is the one that talks the least. 
Now I may be the exception to the rule. <laughs> but oh, you do but, know you know that, Hector? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Self awareness. Okay, got it. Yeah. So in social media, I talk a lot. In my client, <laughs> in my client engagements, <laughs> I assure you, I, I know where to shut up. But the, the best salesperson is the one that can stay quiet during awkward silence. Yes. You know, if you guys have ever been in a, if you've been in, in a negotiation table ever, you know the one that succeeds is the one that can withstand the awkward silence the longest. The one that talks first is the one that loses. This is why salesmanship, it's everything to me. And this is something that has evolved. Like I have evolved my thinking. At first, I thought great accounting skills was what I needed. And, and, and then maybe halfway through it, I thought marketing, it's what you need, right? Because it's marketing. It's all about marketing. And, 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 and I, I could tell you firsthand, my business is all about marketing. But in the heart of marketing, it's being able to transmit the idea, convincing others that your idea, it's better, it's good, even if it's a crazy idea, convincing others to follow you to the cliff until, until that crazy crackpot idea worked. So There's a quote by uh, John Maxwell, and he says, how do you define leadership? Leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And I, I think salesmanship, the way you define it, is a form of really awesome uh, and ex excellent influence that you have on your colleagues, your peers, your customers. So in essence, you're also saying that leadership is also a, a, uh, is, is a form of great salesmanship, right? Like you said. That's right. To That's come right. with you for the ride. Right? I, I use salesmanship. The reason why I use salesmanship is because most people think that salesmanship is about tactics and they're open to listening to the tactics. Whereas leadership is sort of this abstract concept that people are like, well, you're either a leader or you're not, or you're born sure. a leader or you're not. A lot of people are afraid to say, you know, I don't want to get into leadership. This leadership feels like this whole modeled conceptual thing where salesmanship sounds like something you can learn. It's a tactic. It's a, and at the end of the day, it is, it is. It's just, you just have to have patience. I mean, I think, I think that's another trait of a great salesperson. It's patient, patience and a great business owner. It's patient. We have a question here from uh, Ryan Balf. <clears throat> he said the personality of an entrepreneur should be irrelevant. The key question is, is that entrepreneur intelligent enough to understand their strengths and weaknesses if you are shy and not good in crowds, yeah. and you should know that you need to surround yourself with one or more likable type A employees. So I think, Ryan, I understand your point. And, and again, I think that's not a trait. You know, what you're saying is self-awareness is an important skill that, again, you can learn. Like, I was not very self-aware as a high school, high school student, but as I had to become a better leader, or in your case, better salesperson, I needed to be better at being self-aware. And that's a skill, again, that you can learn. So I think... I think, I don't know about you two, uh, Andrew and Hector, but I think Michael and I are on the same page that there's no uh, absolute nature traits that, that you're born with that makes you an entrepreneur. It's all these skills that you obtain and decision that you have to make to, mm -hmm. to step into that, in this realm of entrepreneurship and you require skills along the way. No, that's, that's really, really great. That's great. Uh, no, I love this. I love this topics and the questions. Um, and it, it is always, it always, it is always, you know, I think the, all four of us probably love meeting new entrepreneurs, right? People starting their journey or that are so passionate about something that they can't get it out of their gut. And you, and the reason I think we all resonate with that is we were there, right? We were yeah. there. And some of us are 
maybe some are reminded of still there when a new idea pops up, you go, Oh, that new idea, that feeling of like wanting to go tackle that challenge, wanting to start that new thing. Um, and, and so probably what drives us all in our profession is we get that we get to meet with and work with so many people that are new or fairly new to their journey in entrepreneurship. And also we get to give them the advice of whether or not what they have, you know, one of the things that we haven't, we'll talk about at some point is, the difference between a hobby, a product or service, and a real business, right? And many people cannot differentiate those. And probably because they're watching Shark Tank or they're watching or they're reading, you know, Wired magazine and they 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 see the flashy story and they don't recognize all of the background around those stories or all of the failure rates from those stories. Like the majority of the Shark Tank people end up failing. Yeah. Right? And, and so it's like they don't understand, and the and the offers made on those shows aren't really the offers that end up end up closing, and so, and so we you know we've worked with a number of Shark Tank customers, and it's just very interesting what's shown on TV and what reality becomes, you know, and uh, or you know better yet, you guys probably dealt with this. You open your local paper, you read a story about an entrepreneur. And you're doing their books. You know the real story. Yeah. <laughs> you know the story. It's happened so many times. Yeah. Oh, so many times you're like, they're not doing that. They're not yeah. doing that well. They don't have that many employees. What is going on with this story? You know, it's There's just 30 on the 30 and smiling. It's like bottom 30 on the 30. <laughs> the bottom 30 <laughs> on the 30. Is that what, what, what they've done? You know, so it's just really interesting what's marketing and then the reality. But you know, it, sometimes we'll have to talk about the topic. What, how does, how does somebody know they have a hobby versus a product or service versus a real business? How do they know which of the three are real for them? Because that's a topic for next time for you guys. Yeah. That's the topic probably for next time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anything, anything else? We have about 10 more minutes. Anything else to, to wrap this up? Um, Hector, any great ideas? Oh, great man. comments. I have to think on my feet now. <laughs> oh yeah, really? Really? what are you talking about? That's not a call on you, man. Get yeah, yeah. on your feet. Hector <laughs> listens. Hector listens so much all day. This oh, is yeah. why he talks uh, all night. Like he listens. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, one thing I'll say: if 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 you have the privilege to start your own business today, and let me tell you something, it is a privilege to be living in 2019 and starting your business now with the amount of information that's out there webinars, videos, Google, free books in your local library, resources, databases, with the amount of information that's out there, it is an absolute privilege to start your business today versus going back in time and starting it 10 years ago. And, and a lot of us that started it 10 years ago, we could you know, destroy it and start over again, but we have so many other obligations and employees and customers. Yeah. If you have the privilege of starting right now from scratch, Design a business that design a business that you're gonna want to work in it forever. Think about the fact that there's no such thing as an exit plan, no such thing as retirement. If you build a business thinking that this is going to be what you're gonna be doing for the rest of your life, you're gonna be building something that you want, you're gonna be building it right, you're gonna be building it with ethics because you want to be able to sleep at night. But if you start a business thinking you're going to sell it or exit or make a quick buck, then how you, <laughs> and Michael wants to sell it and make a quick buck. 
and, and, and come live in Miami. But, <laughs> and, uh, but if you do that, you may go in the wrong direction. But if you are going to start a brand new, let's say, accounting business, I would ask to forget about everything we said in this podcast. I would say, stop listening to accountants. Stop looking at other firms. Stop looking at best practices. Stop getting coaching from other accountants, you know, about how to build a business and go look at an industry that has nothing to do with accounting that's killing it. And then say, what if I could do that weird thing that that industry is doing and build an accounting business with a model like that? And that's how you're going to come into the market and shake us all up. But if you come in thinking you're going to do it slightly better, slightly faster, slightly cheaper than the rest of us, you're just going to be one in, in, in everybody else. And you may, and, and, and as an accountant, you will be successful. You will have a business. It will build up slowly. And it will probably make you the 100 grand, 150 grand a year you want. But if you really want to you know, build something revolutionary, stop listening to us. Stop getting best practices. <laughs> you know, go, go to the supermarket and, and go look at the milk aisle and look at the weirdest milk product <laughs> they have there. That's like $8. And, and look at that company and say, how can it be the $8 milk in the accounting industry? That's how you should think um, if you were building a business uh, from scratch. And, and I have a little bit of that mentality, but obviously I'm not starting from scratch. So, it's, so, so I, I got to build upon what I have. But if you have the privilege to start brand new, I would, I would think in that direction. That's great. Andrew? Yeah, I mean, I want to echo what Hector said. Stop listening to us. I, I think the only person you should really listen to is your gut. I mean, you've really got to have a passion for whatever it is, whether I don't, I don't really care what it is you're doing, whether it's that $8 milk and converting that to a new business model. It, it has to be a gut thing. You've got to trust your gut and you've got to have a passion within you. You know, my dad's always said to me, if you, you work a job you love, you'll never work a day in your life. If you have a passion and a drive to do something, you're going to be successful at it. I've always believed in that methodology. Mm. So if your gut is telling me that telling you that you've got to do something, you should follow that gut. If your gut's telling you, I'm not sure whether I should stick with my golden handcuffs or stay, don't jump off that ledge just yet. Um, do what Bob says, put in a bit more time, you know, you know, pull that little kitty of cash, that safety net and wait till your gut tells you I'm ready to do this. And you're, you have to believe um, in your gut and you've got to trust your gut, but you shouldn't be going until your gut has told you that it's time to, it's time to move. And so I think that's the most important thing is don't listen to anyone but yourself. Yeah, I was, I was, <clears throat> no, that's really, that's, uh, that's really good, Andrew. And we talk about don't listen to us. There are, you know, for, for the people asking questions, um, and, and, and Ms. Coleman too, there are going to be flyby nights after this call because you watch FNL, right? Because you were on this call, <laughs> you, FNL. Now you're going to get these ads from these flyby nights, these accounting coaches, these people, I'm not going to name their names. We know who they are. We all see their ads, right? We saw all these ads. And you're going to, you got to completely ignore them. The ads that sell you a bill of goods that you're going to build your million dollar practice in one year. Um, you're going to learn how to get $25,000 a month clients. All those bill of goods. All four of us here and all the successful people I've, uh, we've worked with, they've all done it through ethical honest, hard work, and they've done it with proven business practices 
that we all learned and we didn't learn it from fly by night characters on Facebook. <laughs> we, we learned it from real business people that we knew and trusted. If you have a business person you respect, maybe it could maybe, maybe it's a firm owner that you, you don't know, but you know of them in the town, go talk to them. It's a business owner you respect, go talk to them. Uh, don't trust a single Facebook ad <laughs> for coaching. Don't do any of that is one of my kind of biggest things. These are all marketing fly-by-nights and they may or may not be in business tomorrow. But- I, I think Michael bought something from a Facebook ad. <laughs> and- <laughs> He's got a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and I don't want anybody else to buy it because I'm doing really well. So please don't. That's do funny. That's funny. Yeah. Um, well, I hope this was really helpful for you. You know, thanks for thanks for asking that question, and thanks for you know willing to share your story here, uh, Ms. Coleman. And um, yeah, I, I think uh, from my perspective, you know, I did a talk on how to scale a firm from zero to hundred clients in well, uh, how to go from zero to hundred clients. And the first lesson, the first point that I made was build and have a vision. Uh, my coach, uh, my business coach, uh, whenever I ask him a question. His response always is to me, um, what does it look like when it's done? So I would say, uh, you know, hey, I have this problem. You say, oh, okay. So what does it look like when it's done? I'm like, oh, I knew, I knew you were going to say that. Just, I should just not come to you anymore because uh, he drilled into, into that so much. But yeah, you know, my question for you is if you were to, if you had all the money in the world and you built a business the way that you wanted to, what does it look like when it's done? And then strive towards that. You know, having a vision that you strive toward is going to help you determine what steps you, you take today. All right. So I think that, I think that's it. Oh, yeah. Uh, Hector, last words? Uh, no, I think Andrew is doing something interesting in, uh, across the pond and he wanted to tell us about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah we're, I'm heading over to QB Connect London and a bunch of us are getting together on the 13th at uh, 11 a.m. Eastern instead of p.m., um, so you don't have to be a, a late night owl for that. Uh, but uh, Liz, Heather, Brad, Sarah, a bunch of us are going to get together who are all heading over to QB Connect um, London. Um, so it should be an interesting live. So I hope uh, everyone will join us for that as well. All right, guys. And See you guys. Take thanks, care. guys. For listening. Good night. Good night. Good night. And Bob, great job, man. You should be a regular. <laughs> yes, you should. You should.